You guys good this morning? Good. Well, I'm glad to see you. It's nice to see all your charming, lovely faces in the mild little February snowstorm. Uh, one thing I want to encourage you is tonight, I would really encourage and challenge you to join us back here tonight for a time of worship and prayer. Uh, I will just give you a brief what it's going to look like, all right? So that you're not like walking into something, you're like, what am I even getting myself into? Here's what it's going to look like. We're going to spend some time worshiping, and then we're also going to get together. I have some prayer topics that I've prepared for our church, for us personally, like who we want to become. And we're just going to get in groups of people around you, probably three or four, and pray over these topics for a church, for us moving forward, all of it. And before you write it off like, well, that's awkward. I'm not going to come now because i got to pray with someone. Trust me, it's beautiful and you will not regret it. I promise you. We're offering childcare from zero to five-year-olds, so bring your kids. We have some amazing people who are willing to give of their time so that you can come and enter into the presence of God because we serve a God that is worth worshiping. We serve a God that is worthy of our praise. We serve a God who honestly is more worthy than anything else you have going on this afternoon. Amen. That's who we serve. The one who defeated death and rose from the grave to give us life and life to the full. You've probably heard it said, I'm sure you have. People say it's all about Jesus, right? It's all about Jesus. We're here because of Jesus. But I have a question. Do you really know the Jesus it's all about? And I don't just mean a head knowledge of this God that I learned of one time when I was growing up, but like, do you really know Jesus? But hear me out, it's not just all about Jesus, it's all about the triune God. Yes, it's all about Jesus, but it's also about God the Father, and it's also about the Holy Spirit. All three make up one God. Now, what has happened in the church in America is we have rallied around this anthem cry, is it's all about Jesus, which, hear me, it is about Jesus. But we kind of leave it there and we're like, yeah, doctrine, that's kind of for like the pastors and the seminary professors and all like the smart people. But doctrine, I want nothing to do with it because it's kind of hard and it doesn't make any sense to me. May I encourage you this morning that doctrine is nothing other than this, truth about the character and nature of God. And to not know doctrine is to not know Jesus. To not know doctrine is to not know God himself. And what has happened is, is the church has begun to slip away. And as we're going to see this morning, as Paul warns us into all these doctrines, these false doctrines that just blow in the wind and we gravitate to them because we like how it makes us feel. But this morning, Paul is going to write this beautiful text in Ephesians as we continue to walk through. And I just want to say this, that doctrine matters. And we can't just be a Christian and be like, well, I don't really understand it. The reason you don't understand it is because you've never actually tried to understand it. It's hard. It takes work. You think it's easy to prepare a message every week and lean into the things of God? No, it, like some days it's like, God, I don't even know what you're trying to say, but I'm just going to keep plugging in. But that's not just for me. And the amazing thing is, is the more we come to know God, the more we see his heart in fullness. And I'm telling you, there's nothing more exciting on planet Earth than that. But we, we, we like don't want to do the hard work, so we don't reap the full benefits of who God is. My prayer this morning is this, that we would be a bunch of people that have a desire to know this great and mighty king. Amen. If we look at Ephesians, what we've seen in the first three chapters is really this idea that Paul is walking through some doctrine of who God is and the riches of Christ. Now, the next three chapters, as he closes this letter, what we're going to see is he says, because of all that Christ has given us, because of this doctrine, now are there are ways that you are to walk because of what Christ has done. It's not just like this inflated head knowledge where it's like, oh, now I can get spiritually fat and I can do my thing. No, Paul is saying now we have to do something about it. We could say it like this. The key word in the first half of the book was wealth. 
the vastness of wealth and riches that Christ has given us because he has defeated the grave. But the key word in the last half of the book of Ephesians is this, walk. Walk. Be obedient to the things that God has called you to do. There are four major themes moving forward. Walk in unity. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, we'll see some of that today. Walk in purity. Chapter 4, 17 through 5, 17. Walk in harmony. Chapter 5, verse 18 through 6, 9. And then walk in victory. 6, 10 through 24. But as we're going to see today, Paul is saying because of the great wealth that Christ has lavishly given you, you are to walk in a manner worthy of that which you have been called. I said it a few weeks ago, how you walk in. There's going to be some of that today. Paul's saying how you walk in, are you walking worthy of all that God wants to do in and through your life? Father, I come before you right now. There are things in this text, God, that my words cannot do justice to, but your spirit can. And so, Father, I'm asking right now by the power of your spirit that you would do things that only you can do in ways that only you can do them. And, God, I'm asking and I'm pleading, has been my prayer all week, would we as a people at veneration be a people that are hungry for the things of you? that hunger and thirst for righteousness, God, that we would not get apathetic and lazy because and neglect the hard work of leaning into who you are, God, but that we would leave this morning encouraged, challenged, and excited to know you more because when we know you in your fullness, the fullness of life explodes. So, God, I ask that you would do a thing that I cannot do this morning, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1, says this. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. This idea of worthy literally means matching up. Paul is saying that I'm urging you that your actions would match your words. That your outward expression would match your inward convictions. That because of all that Christ has done in you, that your walk would actually look different. That you wouldn't look like a dead corpse who just kind of rolled over in the grave. But that you would look like a corpse who had actually risen out of the grave and is now walking in newness of life. Those are two different people. And Paul is saying we are to walk worthy. We are to match up to what Christ has done. Philippians 1, 27 through 28 says this, only let your manner of life be worthy, matching up to the gospel of Christ, of the gospel in Christ, so that whether I come to you and see you or an absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. Paul is saying here, and Paul is saying here, we are to live a life worthy of the calling that God has placed upon us because he purchased us with his own blood. See, as a follower of Christ, you are called to walk like Christ, and it's going to cost you something. I know we don't like that in America, but to actually be a Christian costs us something. We cannot look like our old self because we would not be walking worthy of the manner to which Christ has called us to walk. Verse 2. With all humility and gentleness. How's that going for you? I struggle with it often. With patience. Caroline can testify. I'm a very patient man, right? (laughs) All the time. With you and all people, right? Very patient. I'm patient in the checkout line when it's taking five minutes to take 30 seconds. Yes, I'm patient. No, I struggle with it. Gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Listen, maintain means that upon salvation, we have been given unity in the Spirit of God, and we are to maintain that and walk within that. Verse 4, there is one body and one Spirit. This is doctrine stuff. Just as you were called to be to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, 
This is talking to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When you are saved upon Jesus, there is only one baptism. The Holy Spirit enters you and he cannot depart. You have been sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. You've been baptized with the Spirit upon salvation. He is your help and your comforter. He is your sustainer. He is the one who gives you power and strength. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This sounds a lot like Colossians. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. I want to re-emphasize something this morning. Where grace is given, stewardship is required. See, we are to steward the grace that God has given us. We saw it in verse, chapter 3, verse 2. Paul says, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. We are to do the same. We don't just receive this lavish grace and then be like, oh, thanks God, I'll see you in heaven. No, we're to steward it well. We're to walk worthy of the calling to which we have been called. 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. We don't like that one. As good stewards of God's varied grace. Did you know that Peter and Paul are both saying this? You walk worthy of your calling by stewarding the grace of God well, and you walk worthy of your calling by stewarding your gifts well. In this room, there are a wide variety of gifts. Some of you are musically talented. Some of you are great with numbers. Some of you can sell real estate like crazy. Some of you can build homes. Some of you can wire homes. Some of you can create this financial portfolio. Some of you can just, are just great with people. Like The list could go on and on and on, but the problem is we get to a place where we're like, yeah, I used to steward that, but a man kind of burned me out or I kind of got burned, and so I'm just kind of done with that. I'm just checking out and living my own life. It's not living a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Frankly, some of you have to get back in the game. Frankly, some of you have to start stewarding the gifts that you have been given and entrusted by God for his glory and his name. It's how the church functions and operates. And I want to tell you this. God will do more in you than he will through you when you steward his grace well. It's not all about you. He has given us gifts to pour into the body to exalt his name and watch what he will do life will finally start to come to life again when you serve because we were created to serve and not be served just like jesus are you stewarding the grace that you have been given verse eight therefore it says when he ascended on high he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. All this is saying is that Jesus, he ascended into heaven, but he also descended into hell to declare to hell and its minions that you have been defeated. And it's actually faulty doctrine to think that God is not in hell. God is omnipresent. God is in hell just as much here in heaven. He is everywhere. Hell is just his love held back and his wrath unleashed. God is everywhere. He is in control of all. He is in all. Is all is sustained by him. It is in him. He is in all places, including right here, right now, wanting your heart fully. Verse 11, and he gave the apostles the prophets, and the evangelists, and the shepherds, and the teachers, which, by the way, I don't have time to unpack this today, but if you don't know what those are, it's a great step in understanding the doctrine of Scripture. Go research it. The material is endless. But be very careful on what you read, because some of it is false. But to know God, we have to do the hard work. If you don't know, go go figure it out. I have to do that all the time. But then hear this, why did he do that? Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Did you know that it's not my job or the staff's job or the leadership of this church's job to just spoon feed you every single week? Our job is actually to equip you to do the work of the ministry. 
What has happened in the American church is people come as a consumer and they say, oh, just spoon feed me all the baby food and then I'm going to leave and live my life. And then next week when I come back, you better have something really good or I'm not coming back. You better entertain me very well or I'll go find a place that will. Listen, my job is not to entertain you. It is to encourage you and equip you. If you're coming here for entertainment, I want you here, but you're going to be very, very disappointed. I'm not an entertainer. I'm a man entrusted with the word of God to equip the church to live and walk in the way that God has called us to walk. Not just me, us. And if we're going to walk in that, we have to know him. If we're going to walk in that, you got to do the hard work. Don't just show up here and expect a spoon-fed meal every week. What are you doing on Monday? Are you pursuing the heart of God or is it like, eh, it's not really worth it? He's cool, but he's not that good. I mean, my Xbox is way cooler and my homework and all my sports, that's great too. And I just don't have time for God. Well, guess what? Neither do I, but I have to be intentional. I have to be intentional to walk worthy of the calling of Christ. See, we have far too many entertainers in this culture and not enough equippers. And that's the reason the church and we're moving into a post-Christian culture faster than anything we can possibly imagine. Then Paul says this, until we all, not just the leaders and not just the apostles and the prophets and the teachers and the shepherds, but until we all, and don't miss this because we're going to spend some time on it here in a second, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. He's saying it's time to grow up. He's saying you can't divorce faith and knowledge. There's a whole lot of movements in this culture that is all about experience and faith. On what? If we don't have knowledge of who God is, if we are not grounded in the doctrine of the faith, we have faith on nothing and we are of all men to be pitied. Paul is saying there is a beautiful balance between faith and knowledge. Did you know that knowledge, a right understanding of God, a right understanding of the doctrine of the faith, drives faith, drives an audacious belief in this king of glory? But you can't also have knowledge just by faith. Oh, well, I just believe that God wants to do this in me and give me this experience. So yeah, that's cool. That doesn't, that doesn't drive knowledge of who God is. Paul is saying when knowledge and faith are married in the way that God designed it, the things of God come to life and so does your soul. That's how he works. He says, grow up to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. It's all over this country. Paul also says in another letter, people will surround themselves with teachers that just give them what they want to hear, that just give them what their flesh desires. That's false doctrine. Being swayed to and fro. Why? Because we don't know God. Because we have chosen not to get to know him. We've chosen to say, Jesus is enough. He raised, he, did, he saved me. And so I'm just going to check out until he calls me home. It's a very dangerous place to be. Do you know how many times Paul in his letters discusses doctrine? It must be pretty important for us just to write it off. That's a hard one to understand. I'm going I'm to go on to the one that I like. Paul's saying it all drives to this king of glory verse 15 don't be swayed he says rather speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part don't miss that when each part it sounds a lot like all above is working properly, that means every one of us in this room is using our gifts and walking worthy of the calling of Christ, what happens? It makes the body or the church grow so that it builds itself up in love. Love. 
Maybe the reason the church is failing is because, for one, we get swayed by every wind of doctrine because we don't know God. And when we don't know God, we cannot love because God is love. Maybe we need to start with just getting to know this king of all creation. Paul says grow up in every way. Tyler and I went to a Seahawks game, 49ers game, a few months ago in Seattle because we're like, it's a Thursday night. Can't do a Sunday, but we can do a Thursday, and I've always wanted to go. So we went, and man, it was, we lost. It was horrible. But it was also very sad. From the pregame to the game to the postgame, Pre-game, I was trying to find a restroom and you walk to every bar possible and grown men and women just drunk off their tails, no purpose, no hope, literally acting like 12-year-olds. And then I go into the game and we're surrounded by all these 49ers fans who are obnoxious anyway. Sorry, Thad. (laughs) And we're planted right in the middle of them and there's these grown men are like cussing and throwing and like their entire life is wrapped up in this game and then you leave and the 49er fans are all happy because they won and the Seahawks fans are like wanting to get in a fight with the 49er fans and it was honestly very sad because this is what it was a bunch of grown human beings who had never grown up It was like a bunch of 50-year-olds who were still living in their parents' basement, and the only reason they could go to the game is because the parents, they didn't have to pay rent, so they had money to go to the game. Like, that's what it looked like. But so often the church is the same way. We literally, as church members, often put on our diapers, and we carry a bottle in one hand, and we cling to the umbilical cord on the other, and we walk that way until we're 80 years old. And Paul is saying, that can not be. And it's no one's fault but your own. Because you have chosen that other things are more worthy. And you have chosen that other things are worth your time. But not knowing the fullness of who God is. And one day your eyes will be open and you will see all that you have missed. Paul is saying, it's time to grow up. Listen to what he said in another text in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 2. And if this text isn't cutting to the people he was writing it to. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still in the flesh. This is not a new problem. Paul dealt with the same thing, but here's been my prayer, that we would be a church that leave this room that are hungry in new ways for the things of God. And listen, I am not saying how dare you have not done that. Listen, we don't know what we don't know. I get that. But not knowing is not an excuse for not diving. Do you really want to know God? Do you really want the fullness of life? Do you really want him to do things in you that you cannot produce? Then you have to get to know him. You have to dive in. You have to go after the hard things, the difficult things, the challenging things. You don't understand penal substitutionary atonement. You ought to if you're a believer. That's not a seminary term. Go research it. Figure it out. Like it's really sad because this is why it's sad. Because we are missing God in his greatness and his fullness. You want him? Go after him. You want him? Love him enough to know about him. If you love your spouse, you love him enough to get to know them, to dive in, to ask the hard things, to go through life. But some of us treat God as like a first-time, one-night stand. Oh, yeah, we we met with, oh, can I say that in church? Probably not. Sorry. Erase off the record. But that's how we treat him. Yeah, I don't really know him. I had an experience with him one time, but that's all that really matters. And now I just live with the repercussions. There is so much more. And Paul is saying it is time to grow up. So with the time that we have left, here's what I think Paul is saying in the totality of this text is this. Walking worthy of your calling is attaining unity of the faith. We see it right here in the text. And knowledge of Jesus or sound doctrine. 
so that we might look and walk like him. As I said earlier, the temptation is to divorce faith and doctrine. Like, well, I just want the faith field. I want the force field. I want the word faith thing. I love that. It sounds good that I can just claim it. And if I just have enough faith, God will make it happen. It's false. But we also can land on the knowledge camp of the legalistic camp of, man, I'm just going to beat the truth of God into you. How dare you not know the truth of God? Are you kidding me? You don't know that? And we die on this legalism hill. And Paul is saying it's both. It's faith and knowledge. Knowledge drives faith. And you can't have faith without knowledge. He's saying how do we marry both? I want to define a term though before we get going. Doctrine is this. Beliefs that are taught and believed to be true are basically what is true about God. We overcomplicate this. Doctrine is just get to know God, his character, his nature, what is true, what is worthy. That's doctrine. Wayne Grudem, I love how he says this. He says it this way. And I was going to put this on the screens, but I found it last night late. And so, sorry, no, I didn't get it to you, but I'll I'll read it slow. (laughs) A doctrine is what the whole, get that word, the whole Bible teaches us today about some particular topic or the character and nature of God. What does the Bible say about God? That's doctrine. John Frame says it this way, doctrine is the word of God in use to create and deepen one's knowledge of God and to encourage an obedient rather than disobedient response to his revelation. He's saying when we come to know God, it drives obedience. And faith could basically be this, belief in what you know or believe to be true. But hear me, faith is not blind. It's not blind. It's based on a knowledge of who God is. So often you hear, oh, well, faith is blind. We just have to live by this blind faith. What kind of blind faith? Who wants to live by a blind faith? Oh, just believe in this guy that no one really knows about. No. The reason we can stand is because the word of God proclaims and declares the character and nature of our king, and that is not blind. Yes, scripture says, faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. How can we be sure of what we hope for? Because the one who we hope for is right here. You can be certain of that, so then we can believe in the one that we cannot see. It is not blind. So if you're in this room this morning, you're like, well, this Christian thing's a big weird thing. <laughs> believe in this God that you can't see. It's kind of like believing in gravity. Yeah, can you see gravity? You believe in that, don't you? How about the wind? But we have so much truth for who God is. And Paul is saying it's time to lean in and it's time to grow up for your benefit and for your good so that God might do amazing things inside of you. Amen. Doctrine drives faith. But I want to take a second and address what were the false doctrines that Paul was fighting. You can't see it in Ephesians, but here's the beauty of diving in, is that Paul addresses this in another letter to Timothy, who he encouraged to stay in Ephesus. Why did he encourage him to stay in Ephesus? Because he was fighting a false doctrine. 1 Timothy 1, 3 through 7 says this, Paul says, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus, Timothy, because he was in Ephesus, so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote what? Speculations rather than stewardship. The same word. Interesting. From God that is by faith, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart, and a good conscience, and a sincere faith, and then don't miss this. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered into a vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about what they make confident assertions. Still happening today. There's a whole lot of pastors all over the country that are making confident assertions and saying things that they have no grounds for because the word of God does not drive it. 
Or they may proof text something and say, well, I can prove it because this text says this. Well, yeah, but what about the context of the rest of Scripture that goes against that? See, we get in this vein of just this proof texting. Oh, I love this verse. For God has plans to prosper me and not to harm me, to give me hope in a future. You know the context of it? It could go on and on and on, and we drive these things into our doctrine and our theology that are false and are not from God, and therefore it causes us to wander. Be very, very careful. See, Ephesus was fighting two false doctrines, Jewish legalism and a form of Gnosticism. Gnosticism is this, placing personal experience and outside knowledge above orthodox or established to be true teaching. It was all about the experience. It was all about what everyone in Ephesus was saying about God. And, oh, I have this word from the Lord. Does it, come, does it match with Scripture? No, but it's a word from the Lord. Spiritual experience. And we battle the exact same thing. The legalism camp here and the spiritual camp here. And Paul is saying, hey, guys, it's about the unity of the faith and the knowledge of who God is. Both have to be present. See, in Ephesians 4, Paul is essentially saying, to spot false doctrine, you must know sound doctrine. What we do is we try to study everything that is false to try to discover what is true. How about study what is true and what is false will expose itself? See, we have a problem in the church that we like to fight against these word faith people. Well, yeah, that's not biblical. Well, do you know why? Or do you just say it because one of your cool friends has said the same thing? If I were to take a poll in this room and ask you to explain to me why is the word faith not biblical, could you tell me? Or do you just believe it because someone told it to you one time? Paul is saying, man, if you would dive into the word and get to know the heart of God, everything that is false would begin to rise and you would be able to spot it immediately. I want to encourage you this morning to really lean into your faith and really believe what you believe because it's backed by something concrete, the word of God. Your favorite pastor's opinions don't matter if it's not from here because they could be leading you astray and you don't even know it because you don't know the truth. Paul is saying it's time to grow up. I was doing some research this week on some surveys and get this, this is actually very sad. Lifeway did a survey with professing evangelicals. This survey reveals a profound misunderstanding how evangelicals in the church have a great misunderstanding of the character and nature of God. Keep in mind when I read these, these are professing evangelical Christians. 73% of them agree with the claim that Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. 73%. In a room this size, there's a chance that some of you believe that. May I tell you, Jesus was not created by God. Jesus is God. He was with God in the beginning. Look at Colossians. Look all over Scripture. Jesus was not a created being, but we just cling to it because it's so cool and it sounds so awesome. 58% believe God accepts worship of all religions. From what Bible? 55% believe the Holy Spirit is a force and not a being. Where do you get that? Not anywhere in here. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He's not some this abstract force. 55% agree that everyone sins a little bit, but most people are good by nature. I mean, have a couple kids and you'll figure that's not true. I said it a while back, those little vipers in the diapers, they'll sanctify you more than anything. 53% disagree that the smallest sin is enough, is not enough to separate you from a holy God. 44% say Jesus was a good teacher, but not God. These are are professing believers. 29% agreed with the statement that God learns and adapts to different circumstances, and only 43% disagreed. But here's another crazy one. Barna did a study, and there was two facts. They're kind of similar, but... Only 6% of Christians actually possess a biblical worldview. 6%. 
Over 90% of Christians don't possess a biblical worldview and are, don't miss this, are incapable of articulating the doctrines of the faith. That means less than 10% of probably people in this room too are able to articulate why we believe what we believe and what is true about the character and nature of God. Why? Probably because you just don't care or it's been too hard to dive in and so you've just avoided it all together. Did you know that the most rewarding things in life are the things that cost you the most and cause you to lean in the greatest? Those are the most rewarding. It's the same with the faith and it's the same with who God is. You don't know Jesus who you profess unless you know the Jesus of the Bible. And it's not a good excuse just to say, uh, I don't have enough time when your social media tracker says three and a half hours a day on your iPhone. Or when you're paying for NFL Sunday ticket and sitting there for six hours a day on Sunday after church. That's not a good excuse. And listen, I've been there. I'm telling you, it takes work to get to know the God of creation, but the work is totally worth it because you will be blown away by the things that he reveals to you and what he does in you. Nothing else compares. I was sick the beginning of the week. As most of you know, last week I lost my voice about halfway through and it was like a frog jumped out of it. Well, by Monday morning, I had no voice. So I had some time to kill, two and a half days, laying in the guest bed so that I didn't get Caroline and the baby sick. And I watched some documentaries and did some stuff and slept a lot. And, but two of the documentaries I watched, and I would really encourage you to watch them, is called The American Gospel. There's two series of them, but it's really speaking to this wind of doctrine that is waving through this country. People that are preaching false doctrine, people that are preaching true doctrine, and what does the Bible say about both? But one thing that stood out to me is everyone who got off on this tangent of false doctrine really believed it was true because of some proof text, which was basically just, I pulled this text and I like to make it fit this context. It was either that or they truly did not know because they'd never dived in. They just adapted this thing and carried on with it. See, those who don't have sound doctrine, either one, didn't know the truth and it got swept away, or two, honestly, didn't like the truth and created their own God to worship. You've been guilty of that? There's some things in the word that is hard to swallow. That doesn't mean it's not true. And I really got to move because, man, I'm running short on time. Four tests of sound doctrine. I want you guys to know this this morning before you leave. And they're for the screen. You can take a picture of it or write it in your notes. But four tests for sound doctrine. The first is the test of origin. Sound doctrine originates with God. False doctrine originates with someone or something. If it did not come out of this Bible, it is not of God. Anything the Muslims or the Mormons or the Jehovah Witnesses pull that is not in here is not of God. Therefore, it is not true doctrine. Paul goes to great lengths to convince the church that the gospel that he was taught was from God and no one else, no other man. The test of this would be, does this doctrine originate with God or has it been fabricated by someone or something else? Number two, the test of authority. Sound doctrine grounds its authority within the Bible. False doctrine grounds its authority outside of the Bible. I mean, you see it all over. Catholics get some of their doctrine, and please hear me, there are many Catholics that are saved. I'm not saying that Catholics are not saved. Please hear me. But some of the doctrine they get come from non-inspired books. Therefore, it is not of God. Mormons, the Book of Mormon, Jehovah Witness, the New World Translation of the Holy Scriptures was published in 1961. Lots of their doctrine comes from that. It has no authority. See, the test for this is, does this doctrine appeal only to the Bible for its authority? Or does it appeal to other scripture or another person's mind or opinion? Number three is this, the test of consistency. This is a big one. This is where a lot of the word faith stuff, the prosperity gospel stuff, this is honestly where it comes from, is this test of consistency. 
Sound doctrine is consistent with the whole of Scripture. False doctrine is inconsistent with the whole of Scripture. I could say it this way. Scripture interprets Scripture. You don't need any other book to interpret this. Commentaries are great. Some of them are not great. I've read some that I'm like, that's just flat-out heresy. But they write it as if it's true. It's not consistent with the whole of Scripture. See, the test of this is the doctrine established or refuted by the entirety of Scripture. If you, this morning, are leaning into the whole word faith movement, Benny Hinn and all these guys, I would challenge you to go and look at the Bible and see what it says. Don't just believe it, because you are being greatly led astray. Because it's not consistent with the whole of Scripture. And the fourth one is this. This is actually my test. Um, Because I need it. I've just been thinking a lot about this. Like, what is a test within the church, within Christianity? So this is the test that I came up with. And this is the lens that I look at all of this stuff through. The test of platform. And here it is. Sound doctrine platforms the ways or nature of God. False doctrine platforms the opinions of man. Whoever you're following, where is it coming from? Their opinion and their platform? Or is it coming from the word of God? See, any doctrine that platforms man, his strength, and his abilities is a false doctrine. Very easy. Because guess what? Well, you are so great and you are so beautiful and you are so charming. It's not about you. It's about God. The test of platform. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10 says this, and bear in mind, Paul was wrestling with the thorn that was in his side, said this, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, God says, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with what? Weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Almost all of these things are like, hey, just lean in and God will give you everything. Your health, your wealth, your new Ford F-150, your Ferrari, and everything else. Paul would say, yeah, I tried that one and it didn't work so well. In fact, I was actually content to say, thank you, God, for my weaknesses. Thank you for not pulling the thorn from my side because in that I can lean into you. In that I can see the fullness of who you are. So here's the test for the test of platform Does the doctrine platform God or man? If it platforms man in any way, it's a false doctrine. I'm just telling you, it has to platform God. In any way, but whatever God says trumps man every day of the week anyway. I'm sure you've heard it. I want you to think about this. It's been said that God can't be loving and just. Says who? You or God? It's been said that We aren't born that bad. Says who? You or God? A God of love would never separate anyone from himself. Says who? You or God? The Trinity does not make sense. Says who? You or God? Predestination is just unfair. Says who? You or God? I can come to God whenever I want. Says who? You or God? The Bible is just a human book. Says who? You or God? The Bible said it was inspired, every jot, word, and tittle inspired by the God himself. Jesus isn't coming back. Says who? You or God? Or how about Jesus isn't actually even God? Says who? You or God? I promise you, to every one of those, you will find an answer right here. Whether you choose to believe it or not is on your prerogative and up to you. But if you choose not to believe it, you are wrong. And you cannot live in the fullness of life. See, if we're going to walk in a manner worthy of the calling we have been called, we have to have unity of faith and knowledge of God and his ways. For what purpose? And then I'm going to wrap it up. I'm just getting started. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I saw you look at your watch when I said that. (laughs) For what purpose? Verse 15 and 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, 
from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so why? So that it builds itself up in love. What's the purpose of all of this? So that the church grows and is built up in love. Could it be that the reason we are moving into a post-Christian culture is because we have too many entertainers and not enough equippers? And when we have too many entertainers and not enough equippers, we don't know the character and nature of God, and therefore we cannot love because God is love and it starts with him. Paul is saying the purpose of all of this is so the church should be equipped to love and go into the thoroughfares and reach the people who Jesus died for. But if we don't know the Jesus that died for them, how can we bring the message, and here's the key, in the power of the Spirit? Sure, I can tell someone, oh yeah, I was this and I was that. I don't know anything about this God. But I'm telling you, the Spirit of God honors you when you seek his face, when you go after him, when you want to know him. Watch as the Spirit of God begins to move in ways that your voice never could. We depend way too much on our own knowledge, way too much on our own strength, and way too much, honestly, on our incapabilities. Lean into him and watch what he will reveal to you. It's stunning. Once you do the hard work, the Spirit of God illuminates things that you could never illuminate on your own. And Paul is saying the purpose of all of this is so that the world would know the love of a good God. Listen, you don't know what you don't know. But part of following Christ is getting to know the one you are following. And this is exciting. It's not a burden. And it's not a dread. But it also takes work. Anything worth doing takes work. Is the Savior who hung on a cross for you worthy of your work? When Jesus was hanging on the cross to take the full punishment of your sin to give you life and life to the full, is he worthy of your time? It's something you have to wrestle with yourself. I have to wrestle with it. I was thinking in the shower last night, do I really, really believe what I profess? Do I really believe, like tangibly feel it, that Jesus actually rose from the grave? Do I believe it? Do you believe it? See, Sound doctrine is not just for seminary students and pastors. It's for Christians. And it takes time to get to know God, his character, and nature. Are you willing to put it in? I think there's a direct correlation, if the band wants to come up, between a post-Christian culture, the lack of sound doctrine, and the church not being built up in love. Because that's what Paul says right here. He says it right here. It builds it up in love. Think of it this way. The more you come to know God, the more you love God. The more you love God, the more you love people. And the more you love people, the more people come to love God. Full circle. So here's what Paul's saying. Walking worthy of your calling is attaining unity of the faith and knowledge of sound doctrine or Jesus so that we might look and walk like him. People say it's all about Jesus. Do you know the Jesus it's all about? You may have to wrestle with that, and that's okay. Because the beauty of the gospel is God loves you right where you're at, and there's no judgment in it. He's like, man, I'm so excited that finally you have an ear to listen and a heart to know me. You have no idea what's in store for you as you pursue me. Welcome home. Welcome, my son or daughter. I am so thrilled to reveal myself to you and watch as your world turns right side up. But you have to lean in. You have to do the hard work. And I promise you, it will be worth it. Only let your manner, life, manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come to see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. Would you leave this place this morning with a deep desire to know God and his heart in a way that you have never known before? And I promise you, your eyes will be wide open 
to things that you never thought were possible. He is a good God, and he's after your heart. If you're in this place and you don't even know who Jesus is, I just want you to know this. There's a God in heaven that loves you so much that he was willing to come and hang on a cross, be thrown in a grave, but exploded out of it on the third day. No human being can defeat death. But Jesus, being fully God, rose out of the grave that if you would just believe that his taking the punishment for your sin on himself was enough, you can be set free in a moment. It's just the beginning. But here's the beautiful thing. For those of you who have been saved, it's time to start walking. It's time to start growing. It's time to start leaning in. Don't just be content with, yeah, I know this Jesus. Do you? To know Jesus is to know the Word because He is the Word. To know Jesus is to know God the Father because He is one with the Father. And to know Jesus is to know the power of the Holy Spirit and who He is because one God, as Paul says, not three, one. Lean in and watch what he will do. Father, we come before you in this moment. God, and I fully know that there are a variety of people in this room, some who have walked with you for many years, some who maybe today is their first day or some just a couple months. And Father, I pray by the power of your spirit that there would be no condemnation in this room. Condemnation is of the devil. Conviction is of the spirit. So God, I pray by the power of your spirit that each person in this place would leave here knowing and feeling your love for them in the fact that they were here. That they could know that you want them to know your heart, your character, your nature, and that doctrine matters. So God, I pray this morning that you would encourage your people to lean in. And would you show yourself in amazing ways because you are a good, good God. God, help me to lean in. Help me to know your heart more. Would this be a year, God, where I know your heart unlike any other year and I know your character and nature, God, that it would drive me to my knees independency and expectancy. Father, I love you, and I pray that you would do a deep work in this room. In Jesus' name, amen.